chapter number 11. That's where we're going to be. And when you said that about scripture that's uh, dealt with you recently, with me, I'm, I'm going to give you one that just arrested my spirit. It just arrested me for the last three weeks. As uh, I'm going to turn this on. I should be good. Am I good to go? I'm not good to go. It's green. Okay. We were missionaries in northern Canada in the subarctic region on the Hudson Bay for 23 years. And uh, we saw, we, our ministry was in, involved in three different places, Piquitani, which is a, an Indian village of about 200 people. Uh, Waboden, which was named after a railroad engineer, was the end of the train line uh, for the logging industry for decades. And uh, that was a town, logging town, four logging companies and about 600 people. And uh, the folks that came to the Lord there ended up joining with us, and we brought two churches together in Thompson, Manitoba, a town of 20,000 people, a mining town. And uh, fields didn't get set on fire, but I have some lifelong friends who got converted. <laughs> and uh, I, I could almost get them on two hands. But I have contact with all of them, and they're walking with God. That is the victory, the discipleship. That's something that only God can do. And you know what? It's, it just amazes me how each one of us are so different. We're all so different. I cannot be Brother King. He cannot be me. I don't think, I, I don't think he'd want to be me. I can't be uh, a Dave Dunbar. But I sure can be a surrendered broken crayon called Lee Pickett. Okay? The crayon's broken, but it can still color. And it only colors when Jesus Christ is at the, at the helm. So that's our ministry, and we had some really unique experiences. I was telling Brother King about one of those, and the, uh, I'll never forget this man. He was a town drunk in Piquetone. I had not known him in 10 years to have a sober day. And, uh, one day, we went to Piquet and A. I went 100 miles with my snow machine and parked the snow machine, covered it up. And next morning, it was super bright and clear and 40 below zero. So I looked out the window. It's nice and warm in my little cabin that we had there. And, and I thought, not today. I'm just going to stay in here and read the Word of God. But the Lord moved upon my heart powerfully that I needed to go down by the river and walk up the river to where Frankie Hall was. So I did. And, of course, he had been drunk the night before. And Frankie, uh, as I approached the cabin, he was looking out the little window. It's just what you'd imagine. A little log cabin, probably 90 square feet inside, low ceiling. And uh, as I walked in there and took my snowshoes off, I saw him through the window. And I went up. He opened the door, and he said, he's weeping. He said, I was praying you'd come. And he got saved that day. And I don't think he had a drunk day since. In fact, when we buried the preacher, that little church was about, there were six faithful folks for years and years and years. Church in Piquetone does not exist anymore because the church militant have all graduated. Every one of those six people have graduated to the church triumphant. And I had the privilege of burying all of, uh, two of the, of the six of them. Uh, one was the last Cree preacher who could preach, speak, and write in their Cree language. And uh, 
Frankie was there for the three-day funeral as hundreds of people came from all over northern Canada to say goodbye to this preacher, lost and saved alike. And uh, Frankie was playing and singing through the whole thing. So you know what? We're all different. We're all unique. And praise the Lord for it, Amen. for the uniqueness that he's given to each one of us. So can I start my time right there at 917? Okay. <laughs> Today, I'd, I'm sitting here wondering, why am I having trouble? Because I need these things. Okay. Today we're going to look at uh, a particular man in the book of Judges. I've been, we've been doing a series of messages on uh, great leadership in the Bible, looking at that period of time, that 300 to 350 years of the time of the Judges. And many of the Judges are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, that's by design for you and I, because you and I ought to derive all of our spirit, a lot of our spiritual nourishment for our own souls from that list in Hebrews chapter 11. Those names are there on purpose. They're there to lead us in difficult circumstances. And if I was to ask today in this crowd of you men of God, and I am very privileged, it's a great privilege for me to be counted with you guys. I know many of you. I know some of your ministries, and you know ours, and uh, we're all a little bit different, but we all have the same common goal. The common goal is to see people come to know Christ, to see them discipled, restful in their salvation, restful in their service, and unified as one. And I want to bring you a Hebrew greeting from the brethren in Israel. We go in there in 14 days, and I cannot wait to get off the plane to see my friends again. It's uh, Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. We have, we are facing difficult times in our days. We're facing the end days. Things are happening at rocket speed pointing to the coming of Christ. Just this week, I listened to the minister of water. You go, the minister of water in Israel bring a short 15-minute interview. He's being interviewed. And he said they have reached 80% desalination of water. Israel is now independent of rainfall. They, they will use the rainfall, but if they have a major 10, 15-year drought, they're going to be okay. They just opened the floodgates pumping desalinated water into the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're reserved. They're extra water that they don't need. But what really arrested my mind was this, as he was talking about, we want to give water to Lebanon, to Syria, to Jordan, and to the whole world, and all the Arab world, for peace. We are so close to the one world government and peace in Israel, it is pitiful. They are now pumping water to Jordan. In other words, Israel is buying their friends with the technologies they've developed. But can you imagine uh, 80% of the water is desalinated? And what got me going on that is I wanted to tell all of our folks, you know, when you go to a foreign country, you, people always ask the question, can you drink the water? Well, the water in Israel is better than your best water, well water here. Okay, so I was just looking for information and going to send it out on the WhatsApp to all the people who are going with our tour group to say, you can drink all the water in Israel you want. You don't have to worry about it. Just don't drink it out of a mud hole. That would be a problem. 
And uh, folks, we're very close. We're very, very close. So because of that, we are seeing an escalation, I think, of conflict uh, in churches. How many of you men have noticed that? That seems like the devil's really kicking his heels. I had a text from Dewey Stewart uh, just a few weeks ago. And he said, uh, pray for us. I've seen the devil attack like I've never seen him attack before. It's been bad. And I would have to say this. I, I know what he's saying. <laughs> I, I, get the, I, I get it. I'm getting it loud and clear as we have a confrontation that the Lord has won. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, people are getting saved. People are being discipled for Christ. Just this Thursday night, I went to visit a, a, one of our folks who's getting baptized here shortly to talk about her baptism. She's converted from Catholicism. She came to know the peace of Christ, come to know salvation. And I have a habit of doing this after we go through the discipleship classes. And I go through three before we let folks join our church. And uh, I just ask them the question, okay, you want to be baptized? Why? And uh, why is it important? And uh, she just gave a perfect answer. Her husband sitting there is not a safe man. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation, her husband and I. And uh, we walked out and I said, we're going to get him too. <laughs> because you could see it. You know, you men have seen that. You start talking with somebody and you, you just kind of know that they're going, to, they're going to meet Christ. Because, fellas, isn't that what salvation is? Uh, bringing people to be confronted and to meet, literally, the God of eternity. To meet Jesus Christ. We don't meet an intellectual understanding of the gospel. We meet the Savior himself. Uh, just this morning, I had a, a text from a, a friend of mine from the Army who lives in Oswego, and we've been trying to get together for the last almost three years. He was there the day I got saved. And uh, Dave Stoutinger is his name, and he's not like us. He's part of a new evangelical crowd, but, boy, he's a brother in Christ. That man is born again, and uh, we have a great relationship. And uh, he just listened to a message recently that I brought on our Facebook page to our church. And it's talking about this very thing about what are the most important principles that we should live by. And it's reconciling all things. Reconciling all things. And so you know what Jephthah is a picture of that? When you read about Jephthah, you go, wait a minute. When we think of Jephthah, what do we think about? What comes to your mind? The daughter. Well, you know what? In 1943, the U.S. Army came up with an idea. The idea was to put Goodyear and Westinghouse to work to develop an entire core of the U.S. Army. And they were going to be in the northern part of England. And they drew up plans, operations orders, everything for an entire Army Corps. And George Patton was the commanding general of rubber tanks, rubber trucks, oh, roughly 1,200 men total. One, one, one large reinforced battalion of fake army. And what was the reason for that? To get the Germans' attention off of Normandy and onto the port of Calais. So in theology, many times, we'll read a story and we'll just go, oh, Jephthah's daughter. Forget Jephthah's daughter. Nobody knows. Did he offer her as a sacrifice or what took place? Um, I tend to think that he didn't sacrifice her. Go back to Mount Moriah when Abraham offered Isaac. God is not into human sacrifice. Can we explain it? If we could explain everything from the Bible, it wouldn't be the Bible. It wouldn't be God's book. So you know what? People ask, well, what happened? I said, 
I don't even want to talk about it. Because <laughs> I don't. It's like, you know what? I could drive by that story time after time and time and go, boy, that's an anomaly. What really took place there, God? Now you say, well, it says that he did as he said his vow. But did he commit human sacrifice? Come on. I mean, it's like I just have a struggle with that. You probably have gone through the same kind of struggle. So I just drive right past that. And I want to say this. We are engaged in a conflict that is intensifying. We have got to really get from God's book how to, from our hearts, respond, not react. To respond to ugly, to respond to carnality, to respond to wolves that will enter into the congregation. And I've heard preachers say, well, I've never, I've never seen a wolf. I said, well, you get to work and do a few things for Jesus and you're going to learn who they are. <laughs> and you're going to see them come and you're going to have a really tough time knowing how to deal with them. Okay? And I won't get into that, but I've, I've had the wool pulled over my eyes. And this one really blindsided me. It was like I got slapped right upside the head. And, uh, but praise the Lord, in our conflict, recent conflict, we have won some really big victories for Jesus Christ. We have seen the Lord recapture the authority of his church and take it out of the hands of men who don't want to study, don't want to know God, don't want to know the word of God. They just want to run everything. And I say this, I'm not into philosophy, but this, great, this philosopher, I won't call him a great philosopher either because he came up with a lot of crazy ideas, but he did have one that really grabbed me, and that's Plato. Now, you say, you gotta, you're a Bible preacher. What are you doing? Just listen. Plato said, he who desires power is not fit to wield it. <laughs> look, look at this, like little bobbleheads. But how many of you guys would love to be the private walking around the back lot of the church with your prayer stick? Just talking to Jesus. Yep. What are you doing? I'm just doing my ministry, talking to Jesus. I got a problem. Go see the pastor. Okay. How many of you guys would love to be in that place? You'd love to be in that place. You know why? That's why you're in the place of leadership and the under shepherd authority of Jesus Christ, because you're fit to wield it, because you're not looking to exalt yourself. You're not looking to be in charge. You want Jesus Christ to be in charge. And Boy, I'll tell you what, have you ever been frustrated by people who they just cannot seem to muster a spiritual thought? Years ago, I sat down with three men, and we had a major church problem. I explained Matthew 18 to those men at least six times. They got me chasing my tail until an old man called me, about 90 years old. And he said, how's it going? I said, well, they just can't seem to get it. What do I do? This is an old preacher in Virginia. The guy I was telling you about. Whoever, I dread talking to him because it's always correction to me. And, and then, he, then you know what he tells me? His name is Jeffrey Wheeler. He's an old guy. His grandfather was a slave. And Jeffrey Wheeler is a man of God. I call him when there's trouble. And I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get It's going to be pointing to me first. Because he said, like, hey, brother, you were talking last night, Brother King, about taking heed to thyself. He says, everything is taking heed to yourself. Everything is taking heed to yourself. It's like last night, thank you so much for the message. Because I sat there, I hope you were doing the same, examining your own heart. Lord, am I doing this right? Lord, do I have the right spiritual attitude? Do I want these wicked people reconciled? 
or do I, or do I just want you to get rid of them? We have to have that heart of reconciliation. And you have the ability too, by the way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells you that you are a new creature in Christ. And then he tells you in the next verse, and all things are of God, who hath committed to us the, rec- the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in the world reconciling the world through Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit who enables us to desire reconciliation with the meanest, nastiest snake in the grass you could ever dream of. And yet we have the ability to desire from our inner man their reconciliation. And when we have that spiritual attitude that is only in place by abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ. See, Israel got away from Christ and they, in Isaiah chapter 5. And God was taking a strip off of them because they got away and said, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a fruit vine with no fruit. And uh, we don't want to be that. The beauty of it is when the Lord convicts us too, brothers. Isn't it wonderful that when the Lord convicts us that we're not doing well, <laughs> uh, that reconciliation is how far away? This far, this far? No, right there. We just had to get on our knees before the Lord. Lord, I messed this up, and I really, really need your help. And boy, it's just right there. And he forgives, forgets, and we move on. And then we just keep on striving, keep on moving forward. And uh, you know what? We've been blessed. I appreciate prayers for our church because I knew that we were going to have a, a little bit of a, an issue in time. And it has come. And, uh, but the, as, as it looks now, and I, Brother Dave, you were talking this morning about we never really know everything that's going on. That's in back here. It's right, I'm hoping it just stays there. Because I, I know that you can tell. Some of the folks know there's some things going on. And, but you know what? We ought to really want people when they get out of joint, we should really want them to be right with God. Because as you're talking about the song leader, what is their destination if they're not saved? And what is their judgment seat of Christ if they are? Can you imagine showing up at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and the Lord saying, no rewards today for you? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine standing before the Lord? And You know, I'll tell you one of the things that's kept me hooked to the King James Bible is this. I will not have to answer for trying to correct God. I can stand before him with a clean heart. At least I got that one. That I know which book. I know what I hold in my hand. And I know it's true. And I want it to consume my life. And I want to be crucified with Christ. Am I there? How many of us are there? Raise your hand. If you're there, come on up here. I'll sit down. You just bring the message today. Because you're definitely more fit than I. We read about Jephthah and these principles of leadership that are more important, I believe, than whether the daughter was killed or not. Today we're going to look at this man, Jephthah. We in ministry as pastors often, often have tough times. They drain you to the core. The wicked think that you're arrogant, a know-it-all. I was recently called a know-it-all because when the man asked questions, I answered almost immediately. They say, you all just answer, you don't even pray about it. I said, sir, I've been studying the Bible 42 years. I've been, a, I've been in the ministry as a servant, trying to serve Christ, failing, getting some victory, failing again, getting some more victory, having my heart torn out, and having people go like this all over it, and to get up and love them and leave myself open again. I said, you know what? God gives truth to people like that. And it doesn't matter if you're an autistic, don't know anything, God will show you himself. If you just surrender to his authority in your life 
And I said, sir, that's not know-it-all. That's strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. And he, but he's not getting that. But we ought to want these people that cause us heartaches and difficulties. And I tell you what, we have a rare commodity right here. How old are you, brother? Can you imagine a 29-year-old pastor? Can I touch you? <laughs> Seriously, a 29-year-old guy? Just stay by the stuff. Make up your mind. Just make up your mind. I'm going to love God. I'm going to be. I'm, uh, my goal in life, honestly, as a shepherd pastor, is that when they lay me in, in a box, that Jesus is happy with me. But that also that everybody could come by and say just one thing: that guy loved Jesus. And that's it. Not he was a great preacher, some great pastor, but just that he loved Christ. Because I'll tell you what, when you love Jesus and you get real close to him, you abide in the vine, you will have the answers you need to get through the tough times when they come, and they will come. I know in my own life, I wrote down here, as you, you probably quit at least 10 times in your mind, in your ministry, and that's a very conservative figure. Today among us, I'm sure that there are you men, who are teetering on defeat and quitting. Have you ever had a really tough person that drives you to your knees? That's a good thing. John Wesley's wife was crazy. Did you know that? She was as crazy as a bed bug. He'd be preaching, she'd come in, get up on the platform, Start calling him an adulterer, liar, thief, running around through the crowd, screaming at everybody, and then she'd leave. He'd just stand there like that. Somebody said to him one time, said, John, why do you tolerate that? She keeps me on my knees. I tell you what, we all have that, don't you? If you don't have that, if you have not had conflict, you're probably not doing much to bring people into reconciliation with Jesus Christ. Because if you try to reconcile people to Jesus Christ, and if you try to lead your, the church of Jesus Christ that we don't own, you try to lead that church to surrender to Jesus Christ in proper fellowship of, of God's leadership and try to lead deacons to be good servants to the old people and the broken people. If you try to do that, the devil's going to get in your camp and he's going to step in your cornflakes. Uh, that's just the nature of this. And uh, just kind of a reminder to all of us. And uh, I know some of you brothers have been trampled on recently. Just keep looking up. I'm blessed to be part of you. I'm blessed to be part of the blood-bought band. Uh, a band of brothers in Christ. I'm talking about pastors. You get what I'm saying? A band of brothers. This office has been so trampled by everybody. And it's treated so flippantly. You know, have people insult you, say negative, wicked things about you, and you just keep, but don't, don't fight back. Don't even think about it. Think about reconciling, just as Jephthah did. We read in the Bible, let's read, we're going to read his call, the call of Jephthah. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah, and Gilead's wife bare him sons. So here Gilead, his father, had a wife, and he had sons. But he was the son of a harlot. And his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah. 
and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house. Boy, that sounds like somebody we know, doesn't it? Sound like Joseph? Because it's, that's why it's there. This is an example of Joseph-type leadership. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. That's on the other side of Gilead over into the area of Jordan. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah. Hey, that sounds like somebody else too. Sound like David? The 600, the cave of Adullam. Hey, by the way, this is sort of a sideline. Did you know the, cave, the caves of Adullam, they're plural, are located literally one quarter mile from the Valley of Elah? You know where the Philistines were online, Valley of Elah? You go to the other side of the hill, caves of Adullam. That's where David was hiding. He had the victory place right in front of me, reminded him. But he went through some trials, really bad ones. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And he asked the question. The question mark's important. That's why our Bible's so important. You use the King James Bible, folks. That question mark's real important. He's asked him a question. You know what it is? That's a call to repentance. That's a call to repentance to those people. Because we're going to see here shortly that there's a place in here, the scripture that arrested my soul recently, that caused a holy hush to come upon our church congregation as we walk through this difficult time. And... Uh, you know, there's a time where God will say, when you come, people will come and cry to God. God, help me. God, help me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. God says, go cry to your gods. Go over there and cry to the gods you've been worshiping. What are you coming to me for? Go see what they do for you. We don't like to think of God in that light. But he is that God, fellas. You men know that. I pray to the Lord I never get in that place. <laughs> never, never, never. And then we see repentance begins in those people as they start to turn back. Why is this story so very important, the story of Jephthah, a judge of Israel? By the way, it's a judge that, that the people chose, not God. God chose many of the judges, but here God says, you take care of it on your own. Then the people, as the story goes on, the people decided, they repented, and they thought they got serious. They're like, you know, we've cried unto God, and God said, get lost. And then they said to God, God, they're crying to God again. We're going to do right, no matter what you do to us. There's repentance. And so they started to do right, and they called Jephthah to be the judge. And we know he was a judge of Israel because later on at the end of the story, God declares he judged Israel six years. So he's a judge. God said so. So we need to piece the Bible together. You know, there's far too much of this. Take the Bible like a puzzle in a box. I've got a puzzle of a tabernacle, you know, a jigsaw puzzle. And people with the Bible, they're like this. They take the Bible, it's a jigsaw puzzle, and they just throw it out there in the room and go grab me a verse and live by it. There's only one problem. It's tied together in a systematic, orderly fashion where one thought pulls a thread to another thought, to another thought, to another thought, and they all work cohesively together to draw us a picture of who God is. And everything we are and everything, how we act and how we respond is completely contingent upon how we see him. And unfortunately, we have flesh and bone. Any of you guys ever get mad at somebody in church? Anybody ever pop off at somebody? Come on now. 
maybe I'm just a wicked guy because I've had two events. I've had two events in my ministry of, well, since 1994, 95, two events where I popped off at some people. Now, I come from a Scottish background. My father's people were completely 100% Scotch Highlanders from the, from the family Pick. So we got our name Pickett. There's a place in Scotland in the Highlands called Pickett's Lock. Now, I used to think nothing of it, but one of my preacher friends in Virginia said, you guys have a warring spirit, man. And said, we get poked the right way, boy, people get afraid. And I've had two of those events in my life. Now, you know what I did with the people that I popped off to, even though they were all, every one of them, were, they're, they're wolves. I went to them and sought their forgiveness. Because I'm like, hey, just don't do that. Don't play that game. Get close to Jesus because I have a big problem. It's a weakness. You don't want to go to that weakness. The one fellow said, boy, I guess not. And do you have a weakness, brothers? I know we all have things. We're told to draw spiritual health from the characters of Hebrews 11. You read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, speaking of that chapter, wherefore, seeing also, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's that? All the people in chapter 11. Let us lay aside, that's you and I, every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us by the Lord. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus. Personal, quiet communion as a, as a man to God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. We should endure, cooperate with the purging work of Christ in our own lives so that we will be branches bringing forth the fruit that comes from the vine, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For consider him. That's what we need to do when we look at these problems we face and hard, hard, hard people, tough people, malicious, wanting to hurt you people. I mean, wanting to destroy your life, people. We should look at them and consider him, Jesus. What would he do? On the cross, he cried out for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're being shown here to look at Christ first, but also to look at the record of Hebrews 11 of the men and women of faith. I want to say this, women of faith too. You know, I study Israel. I don't think that's any secret that Israel is a very special place in my heart. I, 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 as, along with being called to be a pastor, I have this special little thing that the Lord has blessed me with so greatly and that is to teach people about how important it is that Israel is alive. Yom Israel, hi. Israel lives. Do you know at Wansi, the Wansi conference? You remember the Wansi conference where Hitler's cronies sit down and figure out how to kill all the Jews? When Benjamin Netanyahu went there, he's the only head of state ever to not write his name in the book, the guest book. Everybody goes in, writes their name, and it's a big deal. He went in and he stood there and looked at the book and he said, he lifted his hands, I'm Yisrael High. And then he wrote in the book, I'm Yisrael High. Behold, Israel lives. You know why Israel lives? Because their God lives. You say, well, they're all blind as a bat and they hate Jesus. That's getting ready to change. Real quick. 
And we get to be the saints of God, Zechariah 12, 13, 14, who come with Jesus to participate and pour in the oil and the wine as Jesus Christ saves his wife, Israel. And in our day right now, it is super important, brothers, if you haven't taught anything, 25% of the Bible is about Israel and their future. 25% of our teaching should be about Israel and its future to our people, to educate them. We just had a, a meeting, in our, a Sunday night meeting. We've gone three Sunday nights, and this is our teaching on Israel for the year, where we were, we were teaching people about Israel, looking at Scripture and following a video series. And the last night, boy, they got it. I could see the light bulbs going bing, 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 all over the place. And I thought, our church is coming alive. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And it is. It is. Praise God. It's coming alive, John. It's been tough. Ooh. Yes, it has. I want to share a story with you uh, in regards to these people, Israel, uh, regarding leadership and our wives, Deborah and Melda ben Yehuda. You ever hear those names before? They are the wives of Eleazar ben Yehuda. Eleazar ben Yehuda is the little short dude, a little, I mean, midget guy, had tuberculosis, coughing his lungs up his entire life, who resurrected the Hebrew language. You know, everybody looks at Eliezer ben Yehuda. You know who's really responsible for it? Melda ben Yehuda, his second wife. His first wife knew he had TB, went with him to Israel anyway, married him knowing she's going to get TB and die. God preserved Eliezer's life. She died. And on her deathbed, she wrote a letter just a few days before she died. She wrote a letter back to her sister and said, please come and marry my Eliezer. He needs help. We have a task sent to us by God. She went. She was a linguist. <laughs> she survived and never got TB for 30 years, living with a man with chronic tuberculosis. Resurrected the language, and I, I will quote Golda Meir, Israel would not exist without the Hebrew language. So who's responsible for the resurrection of Israel? Oh, two women. So men, remember your wives. Protect them. Help them. Let them. This morning, Mrs. Dunbar was mothering me. She said, you need to comb your hair. So I'm like, well, I come inside. That wind just hit it. And I thought, well, I know it's probably a little messed up. Man, I look like I just got out of bed when I went in the men's room. Went, Man, I'm glad she told me. You know what? Let's consider this guy, Jephthah. Hebrews 11.32 declares this about him. And what shall I more say? For the time should fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak. These are the men we need to study. And Samson, and of Jephthah, of David, and also in Samuel. You know, Samuel had sons who hated God. I have a son away from God. I get comfort from that guy. A lot of comfort. Because there are the, those who would say, well, see what you did. I've looked at my heart and I've wondered, God, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And I've looked and looked and looked and looked. I found a few things, but not a lot. I tried with all my heart to raise my son to love Jesus Christ. And he just hadn't gotten there yet. I get a lot of comfort from Samuel. And of the prophets, he says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to win the victory in your field for him. I'm going to just give you the main points because I am at 40 minutes right now. You might want to write these down. In Judges 11, 1 to 3, 
we see the unwanted brother. He wasn't wanted. He's the son of Gilead. His brothers hated him. Sounds like Joseph. You know, he, the wilderness helped him. That's one of the subpoints. My wilderness life in northern Canada created me as Jesus Christ worked his life in me and brought confidence in him through dealing with my sins. Not my failures. I messed up. Sorry. No, I sinned. Please forgive. How many of us keep hearing that? People talking about they make their mistakes and all this kind of thing. I try to get people to say, no, you sinned and you did it willfully against God. Now get on your knees and repent. That's what we really need to get people to do. We see that he was an unopposed leader. He acted much like God because, you know, we read in uh, Judges 10, 13, and 14, and these are the scriptures that arrested my soul. When they cried out to God for deliverance, it said, Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Now we know God delivered them. Recently in our church when I read that, it got quiet. I mean, whew. I said, folks, we need to return to the holiness of God and remember God can tell us no. But people, they think they look at him as if he can just tell you yes, yes, yes all the time. Jephthah, when he was appointed leader, they had a covenant up there at Mizpah. And point number three is this. Jephthah was an unsuccessful diplomat. See, we don't see him immediately go to war. You know what the first thing he did was with the Ammonites? He sent messengers to try to stop the conflict. He sent messengers to try to stop the conflict, fellas. Five things he attempted to do in that he attempted to make peace and reconcile the problem by saying, please go home, Ammon. Of course, Ammon wouldn't go home. They wanted to dance. Well, they got to dance with the one guy who was a mighty man of valor, and he tore him up and won the victory, but he didn't want to do that. The point is, we should not want to fight, but we sometimes will be forced into a conflict, and people will get hurt. Then he presented the facts of history, Judges eleven fourteen to 22, to the Ammonites with another, another emissary. Then he stated, God gave Israel the land, Judges eleven twenty three to 24. Boy, that sounds like today, don't it? Then he said, we have been here for a long time. Please go home, in Judges eleven twenty five to 26. Then he said... In verse 27 and 28, Ammon, you just want to fight, guess what? You got one. And away they went into the conflict, and Jephthah won the fight. Brothers, if we follow the same patterns in our life, we will win the conflict. So I've been 45 minutes, brother. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. What's the end of this story? The end of the story is Hebrews eleven thirty-two. 32. Be a Jephthah. Just be a Jephthah, brothers. Keep looking up. God bless you, Brother Dave. And thank you so much.